0: Easter, uh, we're going to do a verse that uh, is a little bit different than most. A lot of times we're in one of the Gospels. We're looking at Resurrection Sunday and who was there. On Friday, we talked about the crucifixion. And we talked about on Friday the things that happened on the cross. When Jesus died, he gave us life. When Jesus died, he forgave our sins. When it's and we were in second uh, Colossians chapter 2 and it says that Jesus took our list of sins and nailed them to the cross. And then he wrote pardoned in his blood. Amen. And it says that In Revelation chapter 1, it tells us about Jesus. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys to death and Hades. I brought the keys with me. They're no longer down there. Satan no longer has control. And in 1 Corinthians 15, it says this. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? When Jesus died on the cross, he said, you don't have to die anymore. I am going to fill that hole. You realize that every one of us have a God-sized hole in the middle of us that was caused by sin. And the world tries to fill it with all kinds of things, don't they? We fill it with, with material things. Does it fit? No, it never fits. Some people may try to fill it with alcohol. They may try to fill it with relationships. They try to fill it with all kinds of things, but it never fills The hole completely because the only thing that can fill a God-sized hole is God. And that's exactly what he did. He said, listen, I've got the final puzzle piece to your life. If you want to have your life fulfilled, if you want to fill the God-sized hole, I am here to fill it for you. And on that resurrection morning, that's exactly... What he did, he filled the God-sized hole. Now, one of the things that that sometimes we may wonder is, is the why. Why did Jesus choose to stay on the cross? Why did he do that? Well, he did it out of love, certainly. But the Bible tells us that there was... Legions of angels that were standing on the premises of heaven waiting to come down and rescue him from the cross. All he had to do is say the word and God would have sent them and brought him home. But he chose to stay. But why? Well I think the answer is in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Actually I'm going to read One and two together, but our text this morning is out of two. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and the perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Let's pray before we look at this. Lord, we thank you that you endured the cross. You endured the cross for each one of us, for the joy that was awaiting you on the other side. We thank you that you, by your power, you stepped forth from that grave to live forevermore, and you're now at the right hand of the Father waiting for us. Thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, what was the joy? The first joy that we're going to talk to talk about is the joy of the bridegroom. Now, I think most of you in this room, there, there may be a few folks that haven't been married. But for all of you married folks, I want you to think back to that day when you met the one. Right? Your heart got a little bit twitter pated. You went, oh goodness. You guys were like going, that is the prettiest girl I've ever seen. And you thought, you know what? I'm gonna marry that one. Yeah, amen. Put that arm around her. Right? And you went, wow. And uh, if you followed tradition, you went to dad and you said, I want to marry your daughter. And if you were like me, you stood there with your shotgun and said, I've got four acres and a backhoe. <laughs> no, you said, you went to the father and you said, I want to marry your daughter. And you, and you got down on a knee next to Coeur Lake. Will you marry me? And then that day came when you were probably standing in front of a minister someplace and she came walking down the aisle and you looked at her and you went, wow. And you were married. Jesus is the bridegroom He's the bridegroom. Isaiah foretold the fact that he would be the bridegroom. In Isaiah 61.10 it says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with robes of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with garland and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. See the picture of how much the bridegroom loves the bride? And in John, the Baptist knew that Jesus was the bridegroom. In John 3, 29, he says, He who has the bride, he's talking about himself. He, he He is the best man. He says, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly. Because of the bridegroom's voice. So the joy of mine has been made full. You see, John the Baptist was saying, I've fulfilled my purpose. I've announced the bridegroom. That's the best man's job. He's not the center of attention. The bridegroom is. And the bride. Everybody has their eyes on the bride and the bridegroom. And the moment that Jesus stepped forth from the grave. He started his journey of wooing the bride. And we are the bride of Christ. You see. Everything that Jesus did follows the Jewish tradition of the wedding. You see, first of all, the bride would leave the father's house and he'd go the bridegroom would leave the father's house and he would go to where the bride was. And he would he would say, "Will you marry me?" He would ask the father for permission. To marry that person. And that's exactly what Jesus did when he was born. Of a virgin in Bethlehem. He left his heavenly father. And he came to earth and he began that journey. He left the father. And then he paid the bride price. How much. To marry this bride. And the. The price was his life. He said you have to pay. For the sin. Of the world. And Jesus did that. And then he left a dowry. And that dowry. Is the Holy Spirit. He left that dowry. And then what would happen. In the. Excuse me. In the Jewish culture. Is that the bridegroom would leave and he would go home to build a house for his new bride. He would go back to the father's house and he would build a new home. And then when it was finished he would head back. Now this is the wonderful part is the bride had to wait expectantly because she didn't know when he was going to finish that house and come back for her. And there's all kinds of verses in the, in the New Testament that talk about waiting expectantly for the bridegroom to come back. And Jesus told his disciples on the night that he was betrayed about that. In John chapter 14, he says these words. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for who? For you and for me. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Amen? I hope you're waiting expectantly. Because the bridegroom is looking to come get his bride. And one day he will. One day he's going to say, come on up. It's time. And I hope we're waiting expectantly. Because when he calls us to come, it's going to be a joyous time. In the book of Revelation, it talks about that day when he he calls us up and he says, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It is given to her to clothe herself in fine linen and bright and clean for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. You see God is is allowing us time to prepare ourselves as the bride of Christ. And his joy is in us. His joy is as the bridegroom to come back one day and take us to be with him. And he will have that moment when he calls us up to him. Well the second thing I want you to see. Is that Jesus wants to put his joy in you. He wants to put his joy in you. You know sometimes I see Christians and they look like they've been sucking on a lemon. You know? It's like praise God. You know? And I'm like oh. What's going on? His joy. He wants to put his joy in you. In John chapter 15. Verse 11. It says. These things have I spoken to you. That my joy. May be in you. And that what? That your joy may be. Half full. Oh full. Full. That your joy may be full. Isn't that awesome? You know, you you don't need to be a half full type of person. You can be a whole full kind of person. And when you look back at this passage. I want you to know that he says there's a few things that you need to do to get your joy full. In John chapter 15, if you have your Bibles, you can flip over there. If not, just hold on with me here. We'll talk about it. The passage before verse 11 is all about abiding in Christ. He says over and over again, abide in me, abide in me. And when we get to verse 7, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. You see, one of the keys to having the joy that that Jesus wants you to have, to be full of joy, is right here. It's right here. I mean, you can't read the greatest book in the world and not realize how much God loves you. I mean, you start in Genesis. Genesis. God spoke the world into existence and he held it there. He holds it there in his hand. Do you realize that right now you're going over 66,000 miles an hour? Well, for you speed dimmings, that's that's pretty fun, huh? But who holds us on this planet? God does. He gave us this thing called gravity. And if you tilt this off one degree... Either way, whoo, off we go. You can go all the way to Revelation and you'll see how much God loves you. But you got to read it. He says, my words, if my words abide in you, you will know my joy. The second thing he says is in verse 7, the last half... Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. What is that? That's prayer. That's prayer. You say, well, God knows everything I need before I even ask. But he still wants you to ask. He still wants you to come to him and say, okay. And especially, especially when you're going through times that are hard. Times of grief, times of pain, times when you don't understand and and you go, God, I, I don't I don't know what's going on. He does. He knows exactly what's going on. But he wants us to come just like when we were kids. Just like when we were kids. Your daddy knew what you wanted. He knows that you want that red Ryder BB gun. (laughs) Right? But he wants you to put it on the list. He wants you to ask. And the, the final thing that he says is in verse 10. and He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. He says, you know what, if you want my joy, live like you're my son or daughter. He wants us to live like he's asked us to live. He wants us to act like we're his child, we're his bride. You know, going back to the whole thought process of the bride... You don't want your bride to say, oh, look at the mud puddle. I want to run through the mud puddle just before my wedding. But isn't that the way we act sometimes? Oh, I love, I want to get married. I see my bridegroom up there, but oh, there's one more mud puddle to run through. And we'll do that in our lives sometimes. But Jesus wants us to live Like we're his bride. Like we're waiting for that very moment when he's going to come back and and we will be reunited with him. And we don't know when that is. But I, I want to give you a little secret. You control the amount of joy that Jesus gives you. If you're, not, if you're not reading what he has to say to you, his love letter to you, that's exactly what this is. If you're not reading that love letter, if you're not communicating to him, you're not writing those letters. For some of you folks, I, I was with somebody the other day that had some letters that they had wrote to their loved one in World War II. Back in the days before cell phones or even, you know, telephones that you could call somebody, and 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 how valuable they are. Those beautiful love letters. What an amazing gift! But we control how much joy, because you see, we need that joy, because God tells us that uh, James tells us that it's not always going to be. Roses and chocolate and sometimes it's going to be hard times. In the book of Psalms it tells us, Sing praise to the Lord for his godly ones and give thanks for his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night. But joy comes. The shout of joy comes in the morning. Some of you sitting in here today are in midnight. You're in the middle of the night. And you're weeping because whatever you're going through is tearing your heart apart. But I've got news for you. Jesus says, just as the sunrise came up this morning, I am there with you. And you will shout for joy even in the midst of the weeping. You know we're, we're in the book of Acts. We've been there for uh, since the beginning of the year. And as we looked at the book of Acts. There's a story that's going to come up. And it's about Paul and Silas. They had been arrested for preaching the gospel. And it says they took rods and they beat them. And then they put them in the most inner part of the jail. And they put their feet in stocks. And the midnight hour came. And you know what Paul and Silas were doing? They were singing praises. They were rejoicing that they had been counted worthy of being beaten for Jesus. That's joy, folks. That's joy in the midst. Of whatever happens. And, and you know what happened next? God says well enough of this. I'm getting you guys. We're, we're going to have a jailbreak." And God led them out. And they continued. They continued. To bring joy. They continued to have joy. Even in the midst of all. That they were going through. Well, in chapter 15 of Luke, it tells us another reason that Jesus has joy. It says that Jesus has joy every time someone gets saved. Every time somebody comes to Jesus... He has joy. Luke 15 7 tells us I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. He's the good shepherd. That's what we're talking about in Luke chapter 15. And he says I have more joy in the one that comes to know me. Than all of you folks sitting here today that know Jesus is now I don't want I don't want that to be a bummer for you because Jesus loves you and he is so he is so in love with you, but he says you know what happens in heaven when one person comes to Jesus there's a party there's a big party because when somebody finally says I I'm done running. Because most of us are running, before we come to Jesus, we're we're like I talked about before. We're trying to fill that God-sized hole with whatever we can, and it doesn't work. And finally, we say, "God, please save me." We had Joel uh, and David came, and he spoke to us last uh, last Sunday night. And he, he said he had, he had looked for Jesus everywhere. He had tried Orthodox Jew, Judaism. He had tried other religions. He had read the Koran. And finally sitting on a bed with, uh, with a Koran beside him, he says, God, reveal yourself to me. And God showed himself to, to him. And then eventually, he said, came the day when he bowed before Jesus and said, you are indeed the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. And we all have to come to that place where we say, I'm, I'm sorry. Thank you for paying for the penalty of my sin on the cross. And I want to turn. I want to turn from the path I'm on and I want to follow you. Thank you for paying for those sins. Thank you for giving me new life. Because the moment we do that, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven and you're made alive in Christ. You're no longer separated from God. And when that moment happens in heaven, there's a party that goes on. And we're saying, wow. Jesus says, okay, Holy Spirit, come on. You're going to indwell another one. You're going to add another one to the bride of Christ. And and heaven is literally activated when somebody comes to know Jesus. And God says, I want that. I want you to know how much you are loved. Well, there's one other joy that God has, that Jesus has since the resurrection Jesus has joy when a faithful servant dies. Oops, sorry. Man, there we go. We'll go back. Jesus, I want you to make sure you fill in the blanks, right? <laughs> Jesus has joy when a faithful servant dies. Now, we don't always have joy. A matter of fact, Thessalonians says, we do not grieve... As those who have no hope. Now it doesn't say we don't grieve does it? We don't grieve as those who have no hope. Because we know. We know where we're going. To be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. And and Jesus told us in a parable in Matthew 25, 21, he's talking about the faithful servants and he says, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. And look what it says. Enter into the joy of your master. You see, if God doesn't come back in the rapture Every one of us will die. It's appointed unto man wants to die. We have a mortal body. It has a time limit. Some are longer than others. Just uh, this last Friday, we celebrated uh, John Hale's 100th birthday. And I, and I told John, I said, "I don't get to do many of these." There's not a lot of folks that make it to 100. Now, I, I firmly believe that the reason John is still here on this earth is that he, his heart is to win souls to Jesus. I mean, he's out at LBCC a couple times a month sharing Jesus Christ with the students out there. I'm like, going, John, you're 100 years old. You can take a break. He says, no. But there comes a time when John's going to get called home. And each one of us. And when that happens. There's joy in heaven. Because that's one more soul. Added to the bride of Christ. Forever. Isn't that a wonderful word? Forever. Never to leave Jesus' side again. I'm so looking forward to that day. When I will will have the opportunity to stand before Jesus. And and I pray that in that day he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. I kind of have a vision of that day for me. Everybody's a little bit different, right? The first thing that's going to happen is is Jesus is going to envelop me in a great big hug. Amen? When Stephen died, being stoned to death, it says he looked up into heaven and he said, I see the Son of Man standing next to the Father. It's the only time, every other time in Scripture, when you see Jesus at the right hand of God, he is seated but he welcomed Stephen home, and I believe Jesus is going to wrap me up in a great big hug, and he's going to say, "Welcome home. Welcome home and then you guys you guys probably won't relate to this one, but I think he's going to have a set of rockers on the porches of heaven. <laughs> yes, he is i have if you've ever been out to my house, we have a we have a wraparound portion. We have rockers out there. God's going to pull up a rocker and he's going to say enter into your rest. You've worked long enough and he's going to put a big glass of iced tea in my hand. <laughs> Someday each one of us will have the opportunity to be in heaven with Jesus forever. And he is going to take so much joy. He's going to take so much joy in the fact that you're there. Because the moment that you trust Jesus Christ as Savior. You begin a relationship with him that will last for eternity. Sometimes we think, oh well eternity is, is always is in the future. It's, it's after we die. No, eternity starts the very moment that you begin that relationship with Jesus. And when you walk with him and you talk with him, you know the song, don't you? In the garden. When you walk and you talk with Jesus as you go through this life and then that time comes when he says, come on home and however that looks and we get there and he's going to say, welcome home. Because that's where we are. We're home for eternity. Never to leave. Always to be in his presence. And that is his joy. His joy is in you. And he has so much joy in you. That he wants to spend eternity with you. Well we're going to come to our time of communion. And communion is our opportunity to remember what he did. And it's also a time to think about what he's going to do. You ever thought about that? Yes, he said, he said, as often as you take this bread and drink this juice, as, as often as you do that, you remember me until I come again. (laughs) Ha ha! He's coming again, folks. You see, Jesus, when he was preparing his disciples, the fact that he was going to die, when he was giving them the very Passover meal, he was preparing them for, for later because every one of them would die. 11 of them were martyred and John, they tried to kill him and he wouldn't die. He was vanquished vanquished out to the Isle of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. I don't know why, but he eventually John did die, he died. Of natural causes but all of them were going to die and he says as you look at this you will see because all of it was future to them as you understand that this is my body which is broken for you this is my blood which is shed for you he says I want you to understand I want you to be prepared that this is temporary it's temporary This earth is temporary. Heaven is eternal. He says, I will come and get you. And what? You will be with me forever.